Eye on 2020, episode 336. When somebody's the president of the United States, the authority is total. The authority is total. The authority is total. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Find out what is in it. In an empire lies, the truth is treason. The truth is treason. We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. By the military-industrial complex. I don't know about you, but I am always dealing with these clueless people on the internet and in my daily life, and I was looking to learn how to defend libertarianism, and if you're in that same position, you want to learn how to defend libertarianism, advocate for a free market, and win any political or economic debate, then you need to join Liberty Classroom. That's Tom Wood's Liberty Classroom, and you could do that by going to eyeontheempire.com slash liberty. If you do that, you'll be able to earn the equivalent of a PhD in libertarian thought and free market economics online for just 24 cents a day. That's amazing. Once again, go to eyeontheempire.com slash liberty. Hey, what's up, everybody? Ray Eaton here, your host of Eye on 2020. Appreciate you joining me. Man, we are so close to the election right now. And uh, that's good. I... I'm honestly getting burned out on election stuff, to be honest with you, and it is really nice to see that we are moving uh, closer. We're eight days out from the election right now, and it'll be nice after Tuesday uh, to not have to deal with this stuff anymore when it comes to election coverage. Now, I'm sure there's going to be, to be honest with you, though, it seems to me that there's probably going to be about a week or so after the election that we're going to be dealing with still election stuff just because there's the counts aren't going to be fully and for example there are some states that are doing the mail-in ballots and those mail-in ballots don't have to be to or received by November 3rd I think they have up to a week after the election or it might be up to five days after the election for those to be received so there's gonna be some fighting and disputes going on with that especially on the Supreme Court level uh, because of the fact that they're in the lower courts, some of the lower courts have said, yes, it is okay to receive ballots after the third, as long, and they don't even need to be post-dated for the third. So you could technically go in on the fourth or on the fifth and still send in your ballot if you wanted to uh, based upon some sort of, uh, I think it was the Pennsylvania... Supreme Court had had ruled and said that the ballots do not have to be in by the third, but they also do not have to be in uh, until five days after the election with no statement saying that they need to be postmarked or postdated for the third. So it gives it gives a little bit of leeway there that if on the third Trump ends up winning Pennsylvania, then you could technically start doing a rallying cry for people to send their their ballots in on the 4th in order to get some last-minute wins for Biden or, or last-minute votes for Biden or whatever, if you really wanted to. It's really a, a, 
interesting scenario that can come up and it'll probably end up go to this going to the Supreme Court because of that because you know it's a lower court that made the decision well whenever there's a lower court that makes the decision and it is something that is in dispute and possibly unconstitutional or whatever and it just needs to be uh it, they need to have some sort of resolution on it they will end up sending it to the Supreme Court so that'll be an interesting scenario if that was the case um but i wonder from that, you set the precedent with the, with the court saying that you can have ballots sent in after, or ballots counted after the third, after election day, because election day is different depending upon the year. But you can have the election results, or you can have uh, ballots sent in that were not post-dated for the third and technically posted for the fourth because let's say you sent your ballot in on the third you dropped it off at six in the six in the evening yet the but that particular mailbox was picked up at five then it would technically post it on the fourth anyway and that's kind of the arguments that'll be made as well but i mean it's probably in my mind i think to myself you should probably set it up where all ballots should be in to the office by the third and if they're not if they're not to where they need to be by the third, then they get thrown out just because that leaves it, you know, that leaves it on the responsibility of the voter, especially if you're mailing in your ballot to not be late, to not procrastinate, to not, um, do the wrong thing. And also it allows for some guarantees that you're going to have that, you know, you're going to have an election result on the day of the election or the very next day of the election, depending upon how long it would take to count those votes. Um, cause it just leaves that for, like, I've actually heard people say it before the question is, well, why don't they count the, ba- the votes as they come in and make it public? And it just, it, it leaves it so that, um, in my mind, I was thinking about that. If you're in a situation where the ballots are being counted as they come in, then it does lead to this little horse race thing and specifically, you know, spending accordingly in the, in these states like okay if joe biden knows he's winning in south carolina by so much over time then he'll bite lower his spending i'm not sure if that would really be the case i've been trying to figure out um if that should be something that you know you would want to push but you know that gets into all this mumbo jumbo election bull crap you know and i don't even want to think about that stuff anyway um but yeah i mean it it really we are going to be dealing with the election well beyond the third at this point. So this will this this podcast will stay eye on twenty twenty for a little bit longer. Um, I'm not sure exactly where I'm going to go with the podcast after that, and how, or if I'm going to change the name. But anyway, not that that's neither here nor there. I uh, appreciate those that joined me for the show, though. Um, we are doing this show on Mondays and on Thursdays. This is your Monday episode. We are a little less than a week, or a little over a week away from the election. So. Uh, Keep on tuning in here and you'll get all of your election coverage as well as any uh, current events that go on because this is more of a current event show as of late anyway, just because of with the coronavirus and stuff. I mean, all of the news has been on the coronavirus, on the things that are going on today with our crazy world that we're living in. And you know what? I really enjoy covering the current events from a libertarian's perspective. Uh, So yeah, Ion 2020, this is your libertarian show. Uh, We do sway libertarian here, so uh, there will be some libertarian bias. If you don't like it, well, you know what? 
at least just listen, because uh, listen in and tune in so you can get a libertarian perspective, because nowadays all you really hear in any cable news or in any, most news media is a left or right perspective. Well, I take a libertarian perspective, so um, enjoy that. So today, by this evening, there should be a new Supreme Court nominee, okay? That's going to be Amy Coney Barrett. In all, in all likelihood, she will be nominated to be the ninth Supreme Court uh, justice on the bench. And that'll be, you know, in effect, as soon as that happens, there is a lot of fighting going on right now, as you probably know, that she is too Christian or that she is too against abortion or that she is too this or she is too that. <clears throat> and on the Republican side... They think that she is the greatest thing since sliced bread and all of that stuff. She, you know, is, but before about the 90s, late 80s, early 90s or so, most Supreme Court justices were just sent right through. They were. They were sent right through as long as they were qualified, as long as they are somebody that could be hired for the job, pretty much, then they would be sent right through. They didn't really... They obviously they cared a little bit about their politics and all that, but it wasn't really the defining factor of who they are that gets to go to the Supreme Court. <clears throat> now, the Supreme Court has always ruled on decisions and stuff that are controversial. Most of the decisions that they make are just, you know, not too controversial, but there has been some in the past that have been controversial. And they've kind of been able to write some laws and, or not write some laws, but um, throw out laws or, or validate laws that have been made. For example, like Jim Crow, the Jim Crow laws were validated by the Supreme Court as legal, but then they were thrown out later, obviously, because that is not constitution. That is not something that, you know, states should be allowed to do. That's not something that, that should be a, the government should not encourage the separation type thing, you know, the separate but equal stuff. This, you know, that should not be something that the state encourages. And so they threw those out. That's a bad law. That's a, that's a precedent that was set that should not have been set, uh, that they realize is wrong. So the Supreme Court has always made some controversial decisions, but since the seventies with the whole abortion issue, Roe v. Wade, it's become very much a political, uh, a, a part of the political establishment is trying to get their people into these seats in order to uh, protect things or also, like for example, the Democrats want to protect Obamacare. They want to protect Roe v. Wade. Well, the Republicans want to overturn Obamacare. They want to overturn Roe v. Wade. So it's become a political arm of the government. And whenever you have politicians nominating people for a position, obviously they're going to go with somebody that, that goes along with their politics. Anyway, that's just the way it's been from the very beginning. The thing about in more recent days, in more recent years, it's become such a political organization because there's so much on the line now is what it comes down to. When there's so much on the line for special interests for different political persuasions and point of view points of view when the government does so much 
everything becomes political. Everything has to be protected. There's a lot of money at stake. When your government is spending, you know, four, five trillion dollars a year, and they're taking in three or four trillion dollars in taxes every year, there's a lot of tax that that's like you know, ten trillion dollars of influence that our government has, plus future spending as well. So that's like hundreds of trillions of dollars of influence that is up for grabs that people are fighting to keep. So you're going to have the Congress, the Senate, you know, the House of Representatives, the Senate, the executive branch, the presidency, and the Supreme Court. People are working every aspect that they can to protect that money that's coming into them or that tax break that they're getting or whatever, you know, whatever it is that the government's doing. I mean, the the biggest spending that we have is Social Security, Medicare, and the military, right? And then service and the debt is a little bit of that as well. But people have to protect what they have. They want to protect that money that's coming in. Especially on that military side, when the military is spending almost a trillion dollars a year, you know, Rayathon, Lockheed Martin, all these military comp- these military suppliers down to the janitorial services and different things like that. Like there's companies that depend upon that money coming in and they are going to peddle that influence. So they're going to try to attack it from all of the sides. So they're going to make sure that they get their people into the Supreme Court as well by influencing the right people to make that happen. And it's going to happen on the Democrat side and the Republican side. So it's all become completely political. And it's so divisive divisive in general. Now, I was thinking about this the other day. The Senate now does not have to have the 60 votes in order to get a judicial nominee through to the Supreme Court. It used to be that they had to have 60 people, 60 senators that would get on board with it. So unless the Republicans had a supermajority or the Democrats had a supermajority of 60 one people or 60 senators, it would be hard to get a Supreme Court nominee through. So when they got rid of that and they made it so you just had to have 51 or a, you know, a simple majority, then it causes that huge division, that rift where you're going to get even more political appointees, people that are not going to get through with 60 votes, but they're going to get through with 51 or 52 votes. So then you could, then then you're more likely to get the more political person. You know, you're, they're going to be, okay, so we own the Senate. They're going to say, we own the Senate right now. We can get 51 votes. So we're going to vote for, or we're going to put in whoever we want to. You're more likely to get somebody that's a little bit more centrist in a scenario where you have to get those 60 votes. So you're going to get some of those centrist Democrats, but you have less centrist Democrats nowadays. You have less centrist Republicans nowadays. You have everyone's on one side or the other. And I was just wondering if that's because of the fact that with most things right now, you only have to have 50 votes or 51 votes in order to get it through to the president's desk. I was just wondering if that was the case. And if it's a good thing to get those 60 votes, because then if you're in a situation where a bill's being passed and you have to get 60 votes in order to get it through. Cause I think Obamacare got through on 51 votes. If I remember correctly, 
you didn't have to, you didn't, I, I think they did some sort of sleight of hand thing where they didn't have to have 61 votes, or 60 votes. I could be wrong on that, I have to look it up and see, but it, it just causes more division when you have to get, when, when you have it, so you just have to get that simple majority. Having that, you have to get some bipartisan buy-in on it, and that's good, because the less stuff that the Senate does, the less stuff that passes through the Senate, the better, in my opinion. Obviously, we want spending decreases to pass through the Senate. That would be great. Obviously, we want limited government to pass through the Senate. That would be even better. But that's not what really happens, guys. That You guys know that. It really comes down to, in the end, the government always grows bigger. Whether Under Democrats and Republicans, it always grows bigger. The only positive that I've seen is that when Democrat, when the president is a Democrat, the Republicans become very fiscally conservative all of a sudden that are in the House and in the Senate. All of a sudden, they are rabid fiscal conservatives, and they fight hard for fiscal conservatism and less spending when there's a Democrat in office. When there's a Republican in office, they just spend, spend, spend. They just go along with it all. So it probably is a good thing if you had a Democrat president because the conservative people, the Republicans, are all of a sudden going to become fiscal conservatives again. And generally, the less the government does, like I always say, the better. Moving on, though. Moving on. So Amy Coney Barrett, she will be nominated, or she will get the votes today, most likely. Uh, If you're listening to this thing on Tuesday, then most likely she has already gotten through. Uh, If you're listening today, just, you know, keep your ears tuned in. Uh, Let's jump on to the election, though. That's the last thing I wanted to talk about today. I'm not going to keep the show too long. The only reason why is because I did three shows last week, and I don't want to bombard you guys with more and more of my voice, Uh, but I do want to get some of the good information out to you guys uh, before you know, obviously on a Monday show, I want to get some good information out to you. So let's go ahead and check out the the uh, the election. Donald Trump is riding high on his good debate performance. I'm not going to say he had a great debate performance, but in general, most people think that he won the debate. Most of the polling shows that he won the debate, that he came off good enough to where people rethought about whether they're going to vote for Donald Trump or not. It sounds like that to me. He's actually um, rising in the polls slightly off of this debate as well. But is it too little too late? Is it too little too late? That's, that's the biggest question, right? Because we're only a week away now, a week and a half away, and a lot of people have voted. One third of people that will vote in this election have pretty much already voted. You're only going to have 62 million people vote for Republicans, 62 million people vote for Democrats, right around there, right? Within a million. So you might have 61 million vote for the Democrat and 62 million vote for the Republican or, you know, vice versa. Then you'll have two or three million, maybe four million vote for a third party, if that, this year. I'm not even sure that any of the third parties combined are going or all the third parties combined out. I don't know if they will get 3 million votes, but if they do that would be great. But you're going to have less people voting third party this year. So let's say for the Democrats there you we're going to have right around 130 million people vote this year. 130 million people vote. And I think they said 50 million people have already voted. So more than one third of people have already voted for 
for their person. Now, the question is, are all of those people that voted, are they the ones that were certainly going to vote for Biden anyway, and they weren't swayable? Or were they going to vote for Trump anyway, and they weren't swayable? I would assume that 90% of those people that have already voted were anticipating voting for whoever they voted for. Like, they were not swayable. For example, I was not swayable. I did a mail-in ballot. I know my sister was not swayable. She did a mail-in ballot. I know a lot of people that I've talked to that have done mail-in ballots or have voted early were not swayable as it is, right? That's, that's my assumption. That's my assumption. So let's just assume that it's probably 90% of those people are unswayable anyway. So you're still going to have the people that are undecided in the middle. And if, I think it's about 7 to 8% of people that are undecided in the middle, according to polls. It might even be as low as 6% of people. So if you have 130 million people that are going to vote, then you probably have right around um, 10 million people that are in the middle that are going to kind of determine who is the winner of this election. Maybe 10 or 11 million. But those are the people that, that are undecided. And if that's the case, Trump may have swayed some of him towards his, towards his side at this point. And if you look at the polling that's been done since then, a, well, I think it's two weeks ago, the polls were showing that Joe Biden nationally was up 10 points, well within the margin of error. He was up 10 points over, over uh, Donald Trump. Now it's more like 6%, which is a little bit closer to that margin of error. I would say the margin of error is 4 or 5% on most of these polls. And that's even hard to determine as well because there are a lot of people who are not going to say who they're going to vote for over the phone. And so these phone polls and stuff are really hard to, hard to uh, determine, especially last time. I mean, Hillary Clinton was up six, five, six, seven points in the polls over uh, Donald Trump in 2016 as well. And, uh, and she ended up losing. So it's, it's hard to tell with Donald Trump. I mean, these people that vote for him, they come out of the woodwork. Supposedly, I don't know if this is true, like 20 to 30% of the people that go to his rallies did not vote in 2016 and have never voted before. Is that true? Is it, it it's possible. Um, but I guess we'll find out on election day, right? Uh, in the swing states, Donald Trump is only down by four and a half points on average in the swing states. So even in the swing states, he's doing better than he is nationally. So in Ohio, it shows that he's barely winning. But then most of those other swing states, it does show Biden up by one or two points. That's like Florida, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan. There's a few states where where Joe Biden is up a little bit higher, but uh, those swing states, it's really, those are the ones that are going to determine who wins, obviously, with the Electoral College. So uh, it, it really is a horse race, in my opinion. On, and, you know, they're kind of neck and neck. If you take into account 2016 and the silent voter that ended up voting for Donald Trump. Um, but we are in a different situation right now because a lot more people have already voted than had voted in 2016. So we'll see. And supposedly, I mean, people are saying that if Donald Trump ends up winning, this country is going to burn. These cities are going to burn 
because people, I mean, we've seen it over the summer with a lot of the rioting, stuff like that, but that was about Black Lives Matter. That was about police brutality. That was about, you know, those, these, not the, not the riot specifically, but the protesting was based upon that. Will those same people get out there and protest against Donald Trump? That then ends up leading to a few of those bad actors within those rallies, within those protests, to start doing the negative things that they were doing. Who knows? Who knows? But this summer has been the summer of the protest, you know? And there has been a lot of riots and so forth this past summer that happened. So will that happen if Donald Trump ends up getting reelected? I, I don't know. I don't know. I hope not. I really do. I think that hopefully people will take the higher road. But it's hard to tell. Because literally the day after Donald Trump got elected last year, or the next weekend, or in 2016, when Donald Trump won the election, they're having um, the women's marches in Washington, D.C. and all over the world. You know, uh, they didn't, those did not obviously lead to like riots or anything like that, but we are in a state right now where there's a lot of tinder on the ground that can burn. So we'll see. It'll be interesting though. But, um, the biggest thing is, is a lot of people have already voted. So we'll see what happens. Hey guys, I will not keep you much longer. I appreciate you joining me for another look at the 2020 election on ION 2020. Uh, if you want to, if you like the show, if you like what you've heard over the last several weeks, go ahead and give me a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcatcher. Apple Podcasts specifically allows you to do a five-star rating and a review. Uh, you just scroll down to the bottom of all the shows that I've done, and when you click on the ION 2020, you just scroll down and you could put your five-star rating and review in there. I certainly would appreciate that. If you want to, you can follow me on Facebook and on Twitter just by typing up typing in at I on the empire. Okay. And then the website that I have is I on the empire.com also. So you can always check me out there. You can also message me through the Facebook app. That's the best way to communicate with me. If you ever just wanted to reach out and say, Hey, uh, but I appreciate those that join me every single Monday and Thursday, uh, on I on 2020. So come on back on Thursday. So you can have a clear vision for 2020.